But we're going to start our new year by looking at uh, the verse, which um, the last few years, every year we've picked a, a Bible verse that has, uh, it's, it, it goes on the website and it's a kind of, uh, I guess it's like a sort of umbrella verse for the year. So we had a verse for last year and this year we have a new verse which is from Romans chapter 1 and verse 16 which I'll read in a moment. Um, but it's a verse that, as I say, it's a kind of umbrella under which um, we pin everything uh, that we do. So I'm going to read this morning from Romans chapter 1 and verses 8 to 17 and then we're just going to focus on a couple of particular verses and unpack those this morning as we Look into a new year. So Romans chapter 1 verse 8. Paul writing to the church in Rome. And he, he writes. First I thank my God. Through Jesus Christ for all of you. Because your faith is being reported all over the world. God whom I serve with my whole heart. In preaching the gospel of his son. Is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now at last, by God's will, the way may be opened for me to come to you. I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I planned many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now. In order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I have had among the other Gentiles. I am bound both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are at Rome. I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. A word of prayer before we continue. Father, thank you for your words to us this morning at the beginning of this new year. Uh, Your word, which is living and active, your word, which when it goes out, it does not return empty. Father, we pray that your word will touch and change our lives and that we may be attentive to your voice this morning. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, uh, Paul writing to the church in Rome, writing to um, encourage encourage them. He writes that they may be mutually encouraged in their faith. They may encourage one another. Uh, He writes to impart some spiritual gift that will encourage them. And then verse 16, uh, he has this um, declaration for them. And this is our verse that we've taken for this year at Bolney Chapel. Uh, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. I am not ashamed of the gospel. Uh, We live in a world and in a culture where it is increasingly, uh, increasingly difficult and increasingly unpopular uh, to be uh, to be bold in proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, We live in a culture which resists the gospel of 
Jesus Christ and a culture in which enormous pressure is being placed upon the church uh, to be quiet about the gospel and to be quiet about the claims of Jesus Christ. And um, you will be aware of um, things uh, uh, in the news in recent years where people who have boldly proclaimed the good news of Jesus have found themselves in trouble. They've um, uh, lost their jobs. They've been disciplined. They've been taken to court. Um, We live in a culture that doesn't like the exclusive claims of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, Well, Paul lived in a culture that was uh, there was not much different. It was a culture that didn't like the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was a culture that resisted the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul himself gets into great difficulty and suffers great hardship because of his boldness in proclaiming the gospel. He's chased out of cities, he's shipwrecked, he's beaten, he's imprisoned. And yet he declares, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Well, he says, because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. And if Paul was not ashamed 2,000 years ago, then we must never be ashamed of the gospel. And I want to just think a little bit about this morning, about the power of the gospel and why uh, we can never be ashamed. Verse 17, uh, the last verse that I read, uh, he, he explains to me, he says, In the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. The gospel is about good news. And the good news is that God is revealing righteousness. In chapter 3, verse 21, um, Paul expands a bit more. He says, now a righteousness from God, apart from law, has been made known. To which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice Because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time. So as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. So what does does Paul mean? What is this righteousness that God has revealed from heaven? Why is it such good news that we should not be ashamed of it, but that we should boldly proclaim it to the world? Well, let me use um, an illustration. I don't know if you are, if uh, if you're fans of the Great British Bake Off. Fans of Great British Bake Off. There's a few recognitions. There's a few blank stares. Fan of British Bake Off. For those of you that are unfamiliar with the Great British Bake Off, um, it's a, it's a competition, and amateur bakers are gathered together, and uh, through the competition, they discover well who is the best amateur baker, and every week. Um, that they meet, the amateur bakers are set three challenges. There's the signature bake, where they, they're able to prepare something that they, they, they like to bake. There's a showstopper at the end, but the middle challenge is called the technical. It's the technical challenge, and each amateur baker is given 
a set of ingredients, they're all given the same ingredients, and they're given partial instructions, they're not the complete instructions, but partial instructions about what to bake. And they're just told, well, we want you to bake this. And sometimes they've never heard of what the this is, and they um, then have about an hour and a half to come up with a, a kind of a perfect result. So that's how it begins. And then you get a cutaway to the two judges, uh, Paul and Prue, and one of the judges who set the challenge has prepared the perfect example of what it is the amateurs are supposed to bake. And it looks amazing. What you don't see is how many goes they've had at it. But the thing that you've actually shown is it looks absolutely perfect. It looks amazing. And then they taste it. And apparently, because they say it does, it tastes amazing. And they kind of, you know, they wax lyrical about how wonderful it is. And then it cuts back to the amateur bakers... And generally you see them in various degrees of struggling to produce what they've been asked to produce. And sometimes there are amateur bakers who get, who get quite close to what they're supposed to produce. And then you have others who are making a real dog's dinner, which is why we watch it. Because we love to see the ones who are making a dog's dinner of it. And then at the end of the hour and a half, they all have to, they all have to bring what they have produced and put it on the table behind a picture, their own picture, and then the judges come in and they have to, they don't know who has produced which one, but they have to judge them. And so the judges come back in and they, and they look at them with varying degrees of despair, and, um, and they make a judgment about how close each amateur baker has come to producing the perfect example of whatever it is they're supposed to bake. And then they, they grade the amateur bakers, and they say, well, this one was the worst. And then they kind of go through, and they say, you know, there'll be some, well, you've got some bits right, but you haven't got some, so you're like third, fourth. And then there'll be the one that's come closest. But generally, generally, even the one that has come closest is not perfect. But that's how they get ranked. Now, so often, when we think about righteousness, and we think about goodness, and we think about our lives before God... That's how we think it works. And I know lots of Christians who think that's how it works. That God has this perfect standard to which we are supposed to adhere. And he's given us ingredients and he's given us instructions for how to do it. And what we're trying to do is come up with something that looks as close as possible to his perfection. And so in our lives, we are, we're thinking, well, well, I, I know I can't match it, but I'll do my best. I'll do my best. And hopefully, as long as what I come up with is, is good enough, I'll be all right. And I know lots of people who are not Christians and who wouldn't claim to be Christians, but have a, a kind of belief in God who think that it kind of works. It kind of works like that. They have an awareness of God and they think, well, well, I, as long as I'm good enough, that'll be all right. Sometimes I'm good enough, that'll be okay. And I know lots of Christians who think, well, well, um, it probably works like that. As long as I try my hardest, I'll be okay. And I'll present the best that I can come up with, and, and hopefully that will be okay. I'll be okay for God. That's not how righteousness works. That's not, for me, that's not particularly good news. That actually I have to spend my entire life striving to reach an ideal that actually I can never actually reach. That doesn't sound much like good news. That sounds like incredibly hard work. That sounds incredibly stressful. 
That's not the gospel. That's not the good news that um, Paul is writing to the Romans about. This gospel of righteousness from God that has been revealed. How does it work? Well, it works like this. Imagine that you're an amateur baker in Bake Off and you've brought to the table your best offering. And then you're, you're kind of waiting in fear and trembling for the judges to come out and basically um, tell you all the reasons why what you're offering is not particularly acceptable and you should go back and have another go. Imagine the judges come out and they look at what you've put on the table and they clear it away. They just clear everything, they clear everything off, out, off the table. And then they bring out, for each one, each amateur baker, they bring out the perfect cake or whatever it is, the perfect pastry that they have presented. And they put that behind your picture. And they say, that's now yours. That's what we're going to judge. And it's perfect. So you've won. That's this righteousness from from God in Jesus Christ. That's why it's by faith in Jesus Christ, because Jesus is the perfect example. He is the perfect life. God brings Jesus and he puts Jesus behind our picture. He puts Jesus behind your picture so that when God looks at you in Christ, what does he see? He sees you through the lens of the cross. He sees you through the lens of Jesus Christ. He sees not us, but he sees the righteousness of his son, Jesus. And that's a complete game changer. That is really good news. That's why Paul is not ashamed of this good news, because he understands the difference that it makes. And he understands the way that it liberates him to live a different kind of life. I just want to point out um, three things, three things that we're released into once we understand how the righteousness of God works. Three things that we're released into. The first thing is that it releases us from striving to live a perfect life in order to impress God, which is what so many of us do. We think, I've got to please God. I've got to live a life that will please God. And actually, well, yes, we have, but not in the way that we think. My mum was brought up in a, uh, in a church where she, rightly or wrongly, what she learnt was that she needed to be perfect in order for God to accept her. That was what she understood from what she was taught as a child, was that if she could live a perfect life, then God would accept her. And that's how she lived to her dying day. That's what she understood the gospel to be, that she had to work hard in order to achieve a perfect way of living if she reached it then God would love her and she spent her whole life striving Jesus says my yoke is easy and my burden is light my yoke is easy and my burden is light when we understand how the righteousness of God works we realize that actually we're not striving all our lives to reach that goal of righteousness, but we understand that in Jesus, he has shared his righteousness with us, which means we're not striving to get towards him, we're walking alongside him. That's what he means when he says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We walk in step with him, he walks alongside us. And so we are released from a life of striving. We don't need to strive 
anymore for the righteousness of God. He gives it to us as a gift and we live out of that righteousness. The second thing that we're released into is that we're released into a life where we can leave behind the burden of guilt. So many people that I uh, come across and uh, over the years, so many Christians that I've spoken to are still weighed down with a burden of guilt, regret for something that happened in the past that still weighs them down, that they still feel bad about, that they look back on and think, I, I just wish, I wish that had never happened. I wish I had never done that. There's nothing wrong with guilt. Guilt is a good thing, but guilt is a temporary thing. Guilt is the result of having a conscience that knows the difference between right and wrong. But the purpose of guilt is to point us to a saviour. The purpose of guilt is in that moment to make us realise, actually, yes, I've got something wrong. What I need is forgiveness. And then we go to a saviour who forgives us and then we leave behind that guilt. I've, um, again, over the years, I've um, just spoken to so many people who have walked away from uh, religious faith because they were burdened with guilt. And they thought, actually, I don't, want to, I don't want to live. It's so hard to live in a place of guilt. If that's what faith is, about spending your whole life feeling guilty about being bad and doing bad stuff, I don't want to live there. That's well, not good news, is it? Is it good news to spend your life think, feeling guilty? That's not the gospel. The gospel is released from guilt. I remember a friend some years ago saying something I've never forgotten about repentance. And they just said, repentance is the door to life. Run through it at every opportunity. And I've, I love it. Because often we think of repentance, repentance as, a, as a kind of a heavy thing. Oh, I've got to repent. No, it's the doorway to life. When you feel guilty, don't dwell in guilt. Repent. Run through the door to life. Because Jesus gives us a righteousness. He forgives us. When I feel guilty, I say, Lord, I'm sorry. And it's done. I'm sorry. And he forgives me. And he picks me up. And he helps me on my way. And then when I mess up again and I feel that pang of guilt, I say, Lord, I'm sorry. And he says, I love you. I forgive you. On we go. Be released from striving. Be released from guilt and be free to live a life of peace be free to live a life of peace wouldn't it be lovely to live our lives in peace well we can Uh, Paul writes in uh, his letter to um, the Colossians again explaining to them the good news Uh, Colossians chapter 1 verse 21 he says once you were alienated from God And were enemies in your minds because of your evil behaviour. But now, uh, the word but, when we read it in the New Testament, it's always a good. The buts in the New Testament are always good. uh, Because they always, they kind of bridge, often they bridge kind of uh, bad news to good news. So he says, once you are alienated, once you are enemies, but. Now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death. To present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope that is held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard. That's the good news that God gives to us 
His righteousness that we receive by faith. We receive it by faith. We don't have to work for it. We just understand what it is and say, Jesus, that's what I want. That's what I need. And in that moment of faith, we receive that freedom. We are reconciled to God. And if we want to live at peace, if we want to live in a world of peace, and I guess all of us would want to live in a world of peace, then we have to find a way of living in peace with one another. Well, how do you live in peace with people around you? Well, the way to live in peace with those around you is to find peace within yourself. Because when you are at peace with yourself, then you stop competing with people who are around you. Then you are free to stop judging other people. Then you're free to stop judging yourself and to be worried about what other people are thinking are thinking about you. And those are the things that create division. Well, how do you find peace with yourself? Well, you find peace with yourself by finding peace with God. And that's what we find in Jesus Christ. That's the gospel, that we find peace with God. In my um, Bible readings this morning, one of my uh, Bible readings was uh, uh, from Matthew's gospel, Matthew chapter 3 of Jesus' baptism. And the father speaking from heaven to Jesus saying, this is my son whom I love with you I'm well pleased. And that's what you know when you are adopted into God's family. When you know that you're a child of God. You are able to hear that voice from the Father. He says you're my son, you're my daughter. I love you, with you I'm well pleased. That's the freedom that we have. We find peace with God. And once we have peace with God we can be at peace with ourselves. And once we've found peace with ourselves we can be at peace with those around us. And well, once we're at peace with those around us, then we can live in a world of peace. That's why Paul is not ashamed of the gospel, because he knows it's about the power of God. And the word power is the word we get dynamite from. This is, this is power that blows things up. This is power that blows our lives up into a good place. It's the power of God. It's what he is doing for the salvation of everyone who believes. Just so lovely. It's the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. For everyone. Um, I mentioned a few minutes ago the, the Alpha Course, um, Alpha Course last term, we may do otherwise. Uh, this term. One of the things I love about the Alpha Course are the testimonies that are shared during the course that just remind you. Of the reality that the gospel is for everyone who believes. And if you've done Alpha, you'll know it's, um, it, was, it wasn't quite written, but it was developed and to made, made it into what it is today by Nicky Gumbel. And when you hear Nicky Gumbel's story of his journey to faith, he came from a, you know, quite a, a, a privileged um, uh, uh, background. He went to a very good university. He was a very successful barrister. Um, uh, before he was called into full-time ministry, had many of the privileges of this, uh, of this life, and yet he was saved by finding faith in Jesus Christ. He wasn't saved because he was a, a good person, he wasn't saved because of the particular background that he came from, he was saved by putting his faith in Jesus Christ. So you hear his story, and then uh, one of the other stories that I love in the Alpha Course is the testimony of a guy called um, Graham Seed, 
And I heard him give his testimony um, live once at a, at a men's event. And uh, Graham came from a, a you know, the, the diametrically opposed uh, background to someone like Nicky Gumbel. I grew up in, in Middlesbrough, broken family, uh, abused, um, uh, violent, uh, uh, football hooligan, in and out of prison. Uh, was literally dying on the streets from uh, substance abuse. Uh, was in a coma in hospital and then was saved through faith in Jesus Christ. You see, it doesn't matter who you are or what you are or the circumstances of your life, the gospel is good news for you. It is good news for you. That's why Paul is not ashamed of this good news because it's the power of God for the salvation of everyone. Everyone who believes. It's so simple. It's so simple. You just have to believe. It's so simple. But then, once you've received it, it changes everything. It sets you free to stop striving. It sets you free from guilt. And it sets you free to live in peace. And that's why, like Paul we must not be ashamed of the gospel. However much our, our culture fails to understand the gospel, however much pressure our culture puts on us to be quiet about the gospel, we must never be quiet about the gospel because it's good news. And we must do everything in our power, uh, gently, respectfully, but everything in our power to share the good news of Jesus. And that's my... My hope and that's my ambition for my, my own life and for our life as a church community in 2021 is that we will continue to be bold and unashamed about telling people about Jesus because he is such good news. So let's take a moment to, um, to pray.